Welcome, everyone, to Family Talk. It's a ministry of the James Dobson Family Institute, supported by listeners just like you. I'm Dr. James Dobson, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us. Well, welcome back to Family Talk. I'm Roger Marsh, and today on the program, we're going to hear more about Jessa Dillo-Crisp and her story of how she survived being a victim of human trafficking. It's part two of a classic three-part conversation that Jessa and her husband John had with our own Dr. James Dobson just a few years ago. Before we go any further, I want to ask parents to use discretion, as the content of this episode is intended for mature audiences only. Now, yesterday, we heard part one of Jess's story. She shared how she experienced horrific abuse at the hands of her own biological family, and that started at a very young age. Thankfully, she was able to escape by the time she reached the age of 21, and she moved to the United States. Now, if you missed the first part of Jess's story, I really do encourage you to listen to it because her testimony is very, very powerful. By the way, you can listen to it when you go to our website at drjamesdobson.org. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Jessa Dillo-Crisp is the co-founder and CEO of Bridge Hope, an anti-trafficking nonprofit organization located in Denver, Colorado. Just last year, Bridge Hope merged with the Avery Center, the National Trafficking Sheltered Alliance, and Hope Bound Collective. Today, Jessica is pursuing a Ph.D. in counselor education and supervision and has her own private practice. Her husband, John Crisp, is the co-founder of Bridge Hope. He also serves as the next-gen director and young adults pastor at Crossroads Community Church here in Colorado. Today, Jessa will share how she was able to attend school for the very first time and that her student visa allowed her to stay in the United States. And during that time, she let Jesus Christ into her life and was radically transformed. Her husband, John, will also join the conversation again. John will share his initial reaction to hearing about her trauma and her past of being trafficked. The couple will also tell us about their passion to help young people break free from the chains of sex trafficking. Well, let's rejoin this conversation. It was recorded back in 2018 and features Jessa and John Crisp, along with our own Dr. Dobson. Jessa shares how she was able to escape back to Colorado for a second time. Jessa, you've brought us to a point now that uh, you're in a formalized uh, prostitution ring and being gang raped. I can't even imagine what that's like. Uh, Where'd you go from there? How'd you get out of that? So once again, the woman in Colorado who had invested in my life and who had helped me previous and who actually helped me escape the first time, she was the person that I reached out to, and she actually helped me escape the second time. You're and, kidding. And so I came back to Colorado and um, once again only had a six-month tourist visa. So here I am kind of in the same predicament going, I will have to go back to Canada if I don't figure out another way to stay in the States. And for a person who's been through so much trauma, it definitely puts a lot of fear and questions and it creates instability. And so in that place, I um, was not wanting to unpack my suitcase and not wanting to get settled or even go to therapy just because 
in the back of my head, I was like, I'm going to have to go back to Canada. I'm going to have to leave the safety that I know. And so the board of directors at the safe house and this woman came up with a plan for me to go to school. Now, if you remember from yesterday, I had never been to school my entire life, not elementary school, not middle school, not high school. So when they said that to me, I kind of laughed it off and was like, are you serious? Nah, not happening. And made a lot of noise, went to my bedroom, slammed the door, and um, was having a temper tantrum, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And it was told to me that day, Jessup, you can read, you can learn anything. So I actually took a black Sharpie, and I pulled it out. And in my room, I wrote on my arm, if I can read, I can learn anything. And we went to the library and picked up books, and I started to study. So I did my one of my first essays as my college application and was able to get into Nazarene Bible College and um, started my educational journey. And so... Like, and you were accepted. And I was accepted. And when I got that acceptance letter, I don't think I've cried as much as I did that day because it was like, I maybe have value. Maybe I can be better than just being a little person. And as a student, the U.S. government allowed you to stay. They did. So I got an F-1 student visa, and it was pretty exciting because my first exam that I ever got back was a Psych 101 exam, and I got 100% on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I like studied night and day for this thing, but I can actually do it, and I'm actually intelligent. I'm not stupid. Growing up, my messages that were told to me were, Jessa, you're too stupid to do anything but sex work. And here I'm holding this exam going, I am valuable, and I am smart because Jesus Christ has made me able to go to school and study. John, I am so captivated by this story. I haven't really given you a chance to talk much, but... uh, (laughs) That's okay. uh, Does your heart grieve now, thinking about the woman you love, being a little child, and being abused in such a wretched way? Yeah. Uh, In fact, shortly after Jessa and I started dating, um, I got a phone call from her, very serious tone, in her voice and she said you need to come over and we need to talk and this was probably one of the longest car rides of my life as I was driving over to Jessa's house and I got over there and we went for a walk and I sensed labored breathing and um, just a heaviness and I knew that what she was getting ready to tell me was really serious and and mattered a lot to Jessa and she said to me that um, she wanted me to hear this from her first. Yeah. Um, you rather, had no clue had what no her background clue. was. No clue. I just knew she was incredibly special and that uh, she loved the Lord. And um, we were getting to know each other. So every day was something new. And she shared with me that she was a survivor of human trafficking and shared with me some of the headlines of kind of what had taken place, the you know, 30,000 foot yeah. view and didn't give me a, any of the details at that time. But I entered a grieving process uh, as I was dealing with the realities of what Jessa had experienced, this woman that I was falling in love with and what that meant for our relationship and what that meant for our future together. And Let me tell you about my own experience with Shirley because she never went through anything like this. Uh, but uh, her father was an alcoholic 
and she had a great mother who really got her through. Um, but uh, every person listening to us who's had an alcoholic uh, parent knows that the one thing you do not want to do is reveal Hmm. who you are and where you've been. And so I went with Shirley for a summer, a whole summer, and was really beginning to realize what a great lady she was and is. And uh, we were talking one night. We were on campus, and we were alone, and we were talking. And she said, I have something I have to tell you. Hmm. And I said, my goodness, what is it? And she told me about her childhood and some of the experiences. And she said, I've been afraid to tell you because I thought that it would not make you interested in me anymore. Um, I don't know what reaction you had, but mine was to have my eyes filled with tears and say, surely I want to spend the rest of my life making up to you for what you've been through. Did you wow. feel the same way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in in that moment, um, I was able to communicate to Jessa that she was not defined by her past and and that she was a beautiful creation and, and Christ. Were you a believer by that time? Yes. Yes. Very and much. So you also made your very contribution much. to her understanding of the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, as the gospel is a message of grace, I think that what was... What a great love story. Jessa, the Lord brought John into your life, didn't he? Oh, he did, and I'm Just so It just took great. a little while for him to get the message across to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our story in our life and our marriage is definitely one of redemption. How have you removed from your mind the images and the feelings and the abuse that you have been through when you were at your most vulnerable, when you were a little kid. Does it haunt you now? Do you still have dreams? you still uh, wake up and say, uh, this will happen to me again? Do you go through those things? I totally do. And I have been on what I call my healing journey. And when I first started my healing journey, those nightmares were every single day, if not a couple times a day, and the triggers and the flashbacks. And as I have progressed in working with a therapist and engaging with Christ in the deepest areas of my pain, I've been able to move into a place where today I can say, yes, I still get triggered. Yes, I still see a therapist. Yes, I still have flashbacks, but it does not control my life. And it's gotten much less than it used to be. You seem whole. You seem healthy. You seem incredibly secure. How could that have happened? That had to be a gift from the Lord, didn't it? It truly is a gift from God. And a lot of people have walked this journey with me in a very intimate way and have been on their knees praying with me, praying for me. And then God brought this man beside me, and he's been part of that journey as well. And so it has been a very difficult journey, but also, too, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it's given me a deep appreciation for who my God is. Why do you think there is so little compassion for kids who are going through this. I mean, I got to tell you, talking to Linda Smith, uh, many members of Congress oppose any efforts to reach out to kids like this. And they do whatever they can to allow the men to get away with it. 
-hmm. they they see the men as the victim and in fact uh, when they discover a, a child who is being abused in this way they often blame uh, the child the individual mm -hmm. have you been aware of that that's that's what linda shared with us why in the world is there so little heart for these kids that are just being ripped to pieces i don't have a good answer I think that is something that we might not know fully until we get to heaven, but I often wonder if there's a lot more moving pieces than what we could make sense of. There yeah. could be a trauma that's not being addressed in the lives of other individuals, and if we don't address our own trauma, how can we have compassion for somebody else? Before I met Jessa, uh, my conception of human trafficking was very much centered around what we see in Hollywood, that it's something that happens elsewhere. And as we were looking on the Polaris website, the recent statistics are that in Denver, it's a $39.9 million industry. In Atlanta, it's $240 trafficking. million. Yeah. Human 30, trafficking. Say that again. $39.9 million. A year. A year. In one city. In Denver. In Denver alone. Unbelievable. Yeah. So it's... It's uh, it's that righteous anger that makes you want to just go out and make a difference. And, and that's why, as I was falling in love with Jess, I knew very quickly that um, this was going to be a mission that we both um, fight and that we were going to join arms and, and make this a battle that we were going to fight together. So, yeah. I mentioned uh, last time that I was on the um, Attorney General's Commission on Pornography where we heard testimony about all of this. Yes. One of the uh, persons who came to testify was a man named Barry Lynn. Barry worked for the ACLU, mm. and he came that day to speak on behalf of uh, pornographers and said child pornography is not a good thing. It shouldn't happen. But once it happens, there should be no restriction on the sale or distribution of it. The, wow. Much of the pain and the angst associated with child pornography is what happens when it is commercially sold. There is a photograph of a girl or a boy going through the most horrendous experience of their lives and there's not anything that they can do to get those materials, those photographs, all of those horrible experiences that are documented. It's documented child abuse is what it is. Yes. And that there should be no limitation on it. I came out of my chair. I mean, uh, that's Thank the you. ACLU at its worst. You know, I can say as a survivor of child pornography that even today, knowing that people are still viewing my images, which they are, um, I had a conversation not too long ago, again, with individuals that are helping me on that side. And it's hard because as somebody who's experienced that and knowing those images are still being viewed in some ways, if I think about it for too long, it makes me feel like 
it's still happening to me. It's, I'm still being raped in some way. Somebody's still making money off of me in some way and in some means. Have you seen evidence of that or you just know it? I have. So we have found IP addresses and law enforcement has looked into that. And it definitely is a pain that I still carry. John, it, it must absolutely eat your heart out. Yeah, absolutely. And I see Jessa, you know, going through and dealing with the realities that some of that stuff is still out there. And the reality is, is it's probably a losing battle in terms of getting it off of the internet um, because they're very crafty in the ways that they change IP addresses and how they um, constantly evade any sort of law enforcement um, uh, repercussions and yeah it's it's really it's really frustrating and, and upsetting um, and I think what needs to happen is is we bring light and awareness into the realities that there is an inescapable connection between human trafficking and pornography. And I think the people who are making the pornography industry so profitable, um, I think we'll begin to chip away at that. And um, that might be when changes happen. Uh, you know, one of the findings of our commission is that whenever you find uh, child abuse and especially child murder, mm. the individuals who perpetrate these horrible crimes always, always, always have pornography in their homes or garages yes. or cars. Always. I mean, it is inevitable. They get hooked on those images, and it is progressive and addictive. Yes. And uh, once they're hooked on it, they want to experience it, and it leads to the ultimate, yeah. which is what happened to Ted Bundy. I interviewed him just uh, 17 hours before he was executed, uh, and that was his story. He asked me to tell everybody to parents especially beware because that stuff is deadly and he said it's what led him to kill what we now believe to have been a hundred or more women and I I was with him right before he died and he wanted the world to know that these people are stalking your children yes. and you better do something about it my goodness I've spent 25 years uh, trying to articulate the cause of these boys and girls. And Jessa, I thank you so much for sharing so passionately about your childhood. Are you going to overcome this? Are you going to you going to be able to pass along help? Completely, to and I believe that that's only because of Jesus Christ being that's my right. healer and my redeemer. What do you hope to do? In the future? Yes. Oh, goodness. I want to get my doctorate in clinical psychology, and I would like to continue to work with my husband to be able to provide resources and hope to individuals who've been through human trafficking and other crimes that perpetrate evil against children. And uh, I'm sure it's your hope that by coming out of the closet and talking about this as openly as you have, that there will be somebody out there that will say, me too. Yes. Exactly. Somebody out there that will say, I can't remain silent. Yep. I have got to fight this. Yep. And uh, 
you know the the scripture tells us that that the Lord said, "Vengeance is mine," saith the Lord. Um, I shudder to think what the people who are doing this are going to face on the other side. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine eternity in hell? Uh, and uh, you know it, it it's on a level almost of what the Nazis did to the Jews and mm-hmm. Poles and Gypsies and others in World War II, maybe on an individual basis mm-hmm. rather than mass murder. Yeah, a personal uh, Holocaust. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Jessa, there is so much in your story. We're talking a lifetime of experience, and nearly everything you went through is relevant to this aspect of your story. Thank God for the recovery that I see in here, and uh, that the Lord just really gave you the strength to overcome it. Um, Part of that uh, miracle was that you were adopted Mm-hmm. by another family mm-hmm. that loved you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one minute left. Tell us that. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was adopted um, by a couple that truly loved me and that have really been a huge part of my life and helping me walk in recovery and teaching me how to grow closer to God. And so through that, I really believe that without them in my life, I would never have been able to have gotten married to John because they truly taught me what it was like to live in a family, to see marriage lived out. Is it the first time you've ever felt loved? It was, yeah. Oh, my. John, take care of this lady. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. She's a jewel. <laughs> and keep us informed we'll as your life unfolds. We'll uh, and I want to say to our listeners who are out there, help us deal with this issue. You know, there aren't very many people talking about it. People don't want to talk about it. Some people will not hold still to listen to it. And I want to tell you, pastors will not talk about it for the most part. Uh, They don't talk about pornography because sitting out in front of them are hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of men who are into the stuff. And that's wrong, too. And uh, so we're doing everything we can to articulate it and to plead your cause, and you've helped us do that today. John and Jessa Crisp. Um, Your middle name is Dillo. Correct. That's your adopted family. That's my adopted family. And they're sitting in the gallery. They are. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I love them a lot. All right. (laughs) Blessings to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a story, and what a blessing that Jessa had been taken in by a loving couple at a time when she needed that extra support. She truly is an amazing, godly woman who has overcome so much in her life. You're listening to Family Talk, and I'm Roger Marsh, and that was the conclusion of Part 2 of Dr. Dobson's three-part conversation with Jessa and John Crisp. Tomorrow, Dr. Dobson, along with Jessa and John, will be joined by Linda and Jody Dillo, a loving couple who provided a safe and stable home for Jessa after she escaped her abusers. Now, if you or someone you know is a victim of human trafficking, call the National Trafficking Hotline today at 1-888-373-7888 or simply text the word HELP to 233-733. And I want to encourage you to keep Jessa in your prayers as she continues to heal from these traumatic events.
Now, throughout Scripture, Jesus set an example for about how we should treat others with acts of service. At the Last Supper, you'll recall, he washed the disciples' feet, and while in the community, he fed large crowds. Ultimately, Jesus showed us how to serve others. So what could that mean for a marriage? Selfishness can ruin a marriage, but selflessness can heal and raise a marriage to wonderful new heights. But it takes two. Elevate your marriage to a new level by signing up for Dr. James Dobson's 10-Day Marriage Series Challenge. Simply sign up on our website at drjamesdobson.org. That's drjamesdobson.org. To join the challenge, all you have to do is visit that homepage and select the 10-Day Marriage Series icon in the upper right-hand corner of the page. Once you click onto the Marriage Series image, you'll be directed to the 10-Day Marriage Series sign-up page. Simply input your email address and then click on the Sign Up button. From that day on and for the next 10 days afterwards, you'll receive an email from Dr. Dobson every day about how to improve the spiritual health of your marriage. You'll enjoy reading some words of wisdom from Dr. Dobson himself. You'll have some short exercises to participate in and a prayer that you can pray with and for your spouse each and every day. Again, to sign up for the 10-Day Marriage Challenge, simply go to our homepage at drjamesdobson.org. Well, we talked about a lot of serious issues today. If there was a stirring in your heart to reach out and talk to someone or ask for prayer, please know our trained customer care team is here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Let us pray with you and for you. You can also share your thoughts, your comments, or any other concerns you might have. The number to call is 877-732-6825. That's 877-732-6825. Well, I'm Roger Marsh, and from all of us here at the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute, we hope you and your family have a peaceful and blessed rest of your day. Join us again next time right here for another edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. This has been a presentation of the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program today. You may know that Family Talk is a listener-supported program, and we remain on the air by your generosity, literally. If you can help us financially, we would certainly appreciate it. God's blessings to you all.